Chapter Two of Marjorie Dean, High School Junior by Pauline Lester. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Ashley Jane. Chapter Two, All in Honor of Mary. Be sure not to pack your white dress, Lieutenant. Marjorie delivered this reminder from the open doorway of the pretty blue room which Mary had so long regarded as her own special nook. From a kneeling position before her trunk, Mary Raymond turned her head, her eyes two mournful blue stars. "'It's over there,' she returned, nodding somberly toward the bed. "'Everything else that had to be packed is packed.' I can put my dress in the last thing tonight. I'm so glad Connie is home in time to see me off on my journey. I hope she and Charlie will come over early this afternoon. They will. The blithe assurance held a significance which Mary did not catch. The shadow of the coming separation now hung more heavily upon her. Marjorie's cheery reply caused her to wonder vaguely if her chum would really miss her so very much. The next instant she put the thought away from her as unworthy. Of course Marjorie would miss her. Still she could scarcely be blamed if she did not. In spite of the long happy summer they had spent together, occasionally the past rose to torture Mary. Packing her effects had been a severe trial. Everything she touched called forth memories. There was the blue linen frock she had worn on the morning of her first entrance into Sanford High School. The very sight of it filled her with remorse. And the dress she had worn on Christmas Day, when the merciful flag of truce had bade a halt to the hostilities which her own unreasonable jealousy had created. More than one tear had fallen on the various dainty articles of wearing apparel as she consigned them to her trunk. She wished above all to be brave and cheerful, even to the very moment of farewell but she found it hard to fight back the terrible feeling of oppression that clutched at her heart. From her position in the doorway, Marjorie had watched Mary for a moment or two before speaking. She had guessed that the work of packing would be something of a dolorous labour, which Mary might prefer to perform alone. At heart she, too, was sad, but in her mind lurked a pleasant knowledge which for the present Mary did not share. It was this particular bit of knowledge that made it difficult for her to keep a sober face as she met Mary's doleful gaze. "'I'm going to wear white too,' she said brightly. "'Captain finished my new lingerie frock yesterday. "'As long as you're through packing, why not get dressed for dinner now?' I'm going to, even if it is only three o'clock. Then, when Connie and Charlie come, we can take a stroll down to Sergeant's. That is, if we care to. Again her lovely face threatened to break forth into the smiles. All right. 
Mary's acquiescence came rather listlessly. Rising from the floor, she began somewhat spiritless preparations toward making ready to receive the expected guests. I'm going to my house now to put on my costliest raiment. Flashing a mischievous glance toward Mary, Marjorie disappeared from the doorway and tripped down the hall. Once inside her house, as she had whimsically named her pink and white room, she executed a gleeful little dance for her own benefit. She doesn't suspect a thing, was her jubilant comment. But while the two girls were engaged in arraying themselves to do honour to Constance, a most peculiar state of affairs was in progress downstairs. Through the wide-flung hall door, one after another flitted a mysterious procession of girls, moving with the noiseless tread of a flock of ghosts. Their bright-eyed, smiling faces and gala attire, however, marked them as being particularly human. One of the seven spectres bore a strong resemblance to Mary herself, and the diminutive black-eyed sprite she led by the hand seemed on the verge of breaking forth into an ecstatic flow of joyful sounds. Apparently, Mrs. Dean had also been suddenly bereft of speech. Only her twinkling eyes and smiling lips gave sign of just how greatly welcome were her silent guests. Ushering them into the living room, she nodded brightly, laid a warning finger to her lips and softly withdrew, pulling together the silken portieres. A half-smothered giggle, to which no self-respecting ghost would have stooped to give utterance, followed her. Then profound stillness reigned within. "'Are you ready, Mary?' A bewitching, brown-eyed vision in white pranced in upon Mary as she was slowly adjusting the soft loops of her wide, white ribbon sash. "'Let me tie your sash.' Marjorie's nimble fingers set themselves to work. There you are. You do look so perfectly sweet in white. Now smile and say prettily. Thank you for them kind words, Miss Marjorie. That's what Delia always says when she dresses up and I tell her how fine she looks. Marjorie's buoyant spirits were so irresistible as to bring the coveted light into Mary's mournful eyes. Forward march, here we go. Seizing Mary gently by the shoulders, she marched her down the hall to the stairway. Break ranks, she ordered. The gallant regiment can't afford to tumble downstairs. Halt, came the order as Mary reached the lower hall a step ahead of her commander. We will now make an invasion on the living room. Two rights, march. Mary obediently marched. Of her own accord she came to an abrupt halt. Oh, she gasped. Her amazed exclamation was drowned in a chorus of gleeful shouts as seven very lively apparitions closed in around her. Charlie never said a word, 
shrieked a high, triumphant voice. "'We come to see you! Hooray!' A small, joyful figure hurled itself straight into Mary's arms. She stooped and hugged him close, her golden head bent to the youngsters. Straightening, she glimpsed the affectionate circle of girls through a mist of unbidden tears. "'I'm so glad and so surprised to see all of you,' she faltered. "'And you knew it all the time?' She caught Marjorie's hand. "'Of course I knew it. Now we are even. You gave me a surprise party once, so I thought I'd return the compliment.' laughed Marjorie. I could hardly keep it to myself, though. Every time I looked at you I wanted to say, cheer up, the best is yet to come. It's a good thing it wasn't long coming, retorted Jerry Macy. I never knew how much I liked to talk until I had to keep still. You must have slipped into the house like shadows, declared Mary happily. Her sad expression had quite vanished with the unexpected honour that had been done her. She felt that, after all, she held some small place in the affections of Marjorie's intimate friends, and the cloud of doubt that had obsessed her rolled away. "'We did do that arriving stunt rather well,' was Harriet Delaney's complacent comment. "'Of course Susie giggled.' We expected she would, though. The rest of us were above reproach. No wonder I giggled, defended Susan Atwell. If you had been the last one in line, you'd have laughed too. You girls looked as if you were trying to walk on eggshells. And when Jerry crossed the room in about three steps, it was too much for me. Susan's cheerful chuckle broke forth anew and went the rounds. "'Well, children, what is your pleasure?' inquired Marjorie. "'Shall we stay here, or sit on the veranda, "'or establish ourselves in the pagoda, or what?' "'The pagoda for mine,' decided Jerry, "'provided the rest of you are of the same mind. "'We can sit in a circle and tell sad stories "'of the deaths of kings, etc. "'All those in favour of this lively pastime, "'please say aye.' contrary keep quiet i came the willing response what for is i calmly demanded charlie stevens of mary to whom he had immediately attached himself oh it means that charlie can go out with us to the summer house and have a nice time if he would like to explained mary charlie don't want to was the frank response. "'Where's Delia?' Fond recollections of frequent visits to the Dean kitchen, invariably productive of toothsome gifts, lurked in the foreground. "'Delia likes to see me.' "'You mean you like to see Delia?' laughed Constance. "'But you know you came to see Mrs. Dean and Marjorie and Mary,' she reminded. I've seen them. Now I have to see Delia. Delia wins the day, smiled Mrs. Dean. You are all jilted. Very well, Charlie. 
you and I will pay our respects to Delia. Come on. She stretched forth an inviting hand to the little boy, who accepted it joyfully, and trotted off with her to invade good-natured Delia's domain. As long as our one cavalier has been lured away from us by Delia, we might as well try to console another, laughed Marjorie. He's growing terribly spoiled, apologised Constance. My aunt adores him and thinks he must have everything he asks for. He's a good little boy, though, in spite of all the petting he gets. He's a perfect darling, dimpled Susan Atwell. He says such quaint, funny things. Has he ever tried to run away since the night of the operetta? No. Constance made brief reply. Her gaze wandered to Mary Raymond, who was talking busily with Harriet Delaney and Esther Lynde. The vision of a fair-haired, blue-eyed girl leading a small runway up to the stage door of the theatre rose before her. Next to Marjorie Dean, Mary ranked second in her heart. Constance felt suddenly very humble in the possession of two such wonderful friends. Life had been kinder to her than she deserved, was her grateful thought. Susan eyed her curiously. Although she was very fond of Constance, she did not in the least understand her. Now she said rather timidly, I hope you didn't mind because I spoke of the operetta and Charlie's running away, Connie. Constance promptly came out of her daydream. You brought it all back to me, she smiled. I was just wondering what I'd ever done to deserve such friends as I've made here in Sanford. I can't bear to think that Mary won't be with us this year. Before Susan could reply, Jerry interrupted them with, Come along, girls. The sooner we get settled, the longer we'll have to talk. It was a merry, light-hearted band that strolled out of the house and across the lawn to the honeysuckle-draped pagoda, situated at the far end of the velvety stretch of green. Mary and Marjorie brought up the rear, their arms piled high with bright-hued cushions, and the guests soon disposed themselves on the bench built circular fashion around the pagoda or sought the comfort of the several wicker chairs. Brought together again after more than two months' separation, a busy wagging of tongues was in order, mingled with the ready laughter that high-spirited youth alone knows. Everyone had something interesting to tell of her vacation, and rejoiced accordingly in the telling. Father Time flew in his fleetest fashion, but no one of the group paid the slightest attention to the fact. From vacation, the conversation gradually drifted into school channels and a lively discussion of junior plans ensued. "'By the way, girls,' remarked Jerry Macy, with the careless assumption of casualty which was her favourite method of procedure when about to retail some amazing bit of news." Did you know that Miss Archer almost decided to resign her position at Sanford High for one in Chicago? 
of course we didn't know it and you know we didn't laughed susan atwell whenever jerry begins with by the way and tries to look innocent you may know she has something startling to offer where on earth do you pick up all your news jerry asked constance stevens you always seem to know everything about everybody oh it just happens to come my way grinned jerry i heard about miss archer from my father he's just been elected to the board of education she isn't really going to leave sanford high is she jerry an anxious frown puckered marjorie's smooth forehead she hated to think of high school without miss archer no at first she thought she would but afterward she decided that she'd rather stay here she told father that she had grown so fond of the dear old school she couldn't bear to leave it i'm certainly glad she's not going to resign if she did we might have kind delightful miss merton for a principal then good night jerry relapsed into slang to emphasize her disgust of such a possibility i shouldn't like that marjorie remarked bluntly still i can't help feeling a little bit sorry for miss merton she shuts out all the bright pleasant things in life and just sticks to the disagreeable ones sometimes i wonder if she was ever young or had ever been happy she's been a regular siberian crab-apple ever since i can remember grumbled jerry why when i was a kidlet in knee skirts she was the terror of sanford high i guess she must have been crossed in love about a hundred years ago jerry giggled a trifle wickedly she was affirmed quiet irma with a smile but not a hundred years ago i never knew it until this summer here is something i don't seem to know about satirized jerry how did that happen i wonder don't keep us in suspense irma implored muriel harding if miss merton ever had a love affair it's your duty to tell us about it i can't imagine such an impossibility did it happen here in sanford how did you come to hear of it a circle of eager faces were turned expectantly toward irma my aunt whom i visited this summer told me about it she began she lived in sanford when she was a girl and knew miss merton then they went to school together there were no high schools then just an academy for young men and women miss merton was really a pretty girl she had pink cheeks and bright eyes and beautiful heavy dark hair she had a sister too who wasn't a bit pretty they were very quiet girls who hardly ever went to parties and never paid much attention to the boys they knew in sanford when miss merton was about eighteen and her sister twenty-one a handsome young naval officer came to visit some friends in sanford on a furlough he was introduced to both sisters and called on them two or three times they lived with their father in that little house on sycamore street where miss merton still lives the young ensign's furlough was nearly over when he met them 
so he didn't have much time to get well acquainted with them. The night before he went away, he asked Miss Merton if he might write to her, and she said yes. Some story, cut in Jerry. And did he write? Don't interrupt me, Jeremiah, reproved Irma. Yes, he wrote, but... Miss Merton never got the letter, supplemented the irrepressible Jerry. That's the way it always happens in books. All right, you may tell the rest of it, teased Irma, her eyes twinkling. Someone please smother Jerry's head in a sofa cushion so she can't interrupt, pleaded Harriet. Try it, challenged Jerry. Excuse me, Irma, I solemnly promise to behave like a clam. On with the miraculous, marvellous memoirs of meritorious Miss Merton. Where was I? Oh, yes, the young ensign wrote, as he thought, to Miss Merton, but in some way he had confused the two sisters' first names. So he wrote to Alice Merton, her sister, instead thinking it was our Miss Merton. How awful! The very idea! What a dreadful mistake! came from the highly interested listeners. The sister was delighted because she liked the ensign a lot and thought he didn't care much about her. You can imagine how Miss Merton felt. She never said a word to anyone then about his asking her if he might write. She thought he had just been flirting with her when really he had fallen in love with her. Then his ship went on a trip around the world, but he kept on writing to the sister and at last he asked her to marry him. So they were engaged, and he sent her a beautiful diamond ring. They planned to be married when he received his next furlough. But when he came to Sanford to claim his bride, he found that he had made a terrible mistake. What did he do then? chorused half a dozen awed voices. Oh, he made the best of it and married the sister, Irma replied with a shrug. I suppose he felt that he couldn't very well do anything else. Perhaps he didn't have the courage to. But one day before his wedding he went to the house and found Miss Merton alone. She had been crying and he felt so sorry that he tried to find out what was the matter. Somehow they came to an understanding but it was too late. Three or four years after that he was drowned during a storm at sea. Miss Merton never quite got over it all, and it's changed her disposition, I guess. What a sad story. Constance Stevens' blue eyes were soft with sympathy. That makes Miss Merton seem like a different person, doesn't it? Marjorie thoughtfully knitted her brows. I suppose that is why she acts as though she hated young people, offered Mary. We probably remind her of her cheated youth. She should have been particular enough to let that stupid ensign know that she was she, criticised practical Jerry. I'm glad I haven't a sister. There's no danger of any future aspirant for my hand and heart getting me mixed with Hal. The sentimental shadow 
cast upon the group by Irma's romantic tale, disappeared in a gale of laughter. "'Honestly, Jerry Macy, you haven't the least idea of romance,' giggled Susan. "'Here Irma tells us a real love story, and you spoil it all about a minute afterward.' "'Can't help it,' asserted Jerry stoutly. "'I have to say what I think.' "'Oh, here come Captain and Charlie,' cried Marjorie, sighting a gracious figure in white, descending the steps with Charlie in tow. "'That means dinner is about to be served, children. Our farewell feast to Lieutenant Mary Raymond.'" End of chapter 2 Recording by Ashley Jane